right, amen. All right, if you take your Bibles, why don't we turn to the book of Job, chapter 42. It's been such a quick survey of this book. We could have spent many months on it, but I think we have the understanding and we can almost feel Job's heartbeat and despair and victory here in chapter 42 now. Basically, as we look at this final chapter, I'd like to draw out some lessons that we can learn to kind of bring everything together about suffering and looking to Jesus and trusting him. So let's pray, and then we'll dive right into it. Father, thank you so much for the text of Scripture. We believe this is divinely inspired. It is breathed out. It is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for rebuke, that we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We need every book of the Bible. We need every part of the Bible. And and so, Father, help us to understand and draw out truths from this book and this final chapter that we can live by, that we can take with us, and we can remember and we can call to, to remembrance when we are going through these trials that will come in the future. So thank you again for teaching us and loving us and caring for us and ultimately bringing us to heaven someday where we will live with you forever, free from sin, free from despair, discouragement, free from tears and sorrow. What a day that will be. What a joyful future we have. But even now, Father, we find exceedingly great joy in our relationship with Jesus Christ. May he be praised forever in our lives and in this church. Amen. So Job chapter 42. As we get into the text here, we understand that God has just given his second and final message to Job. It was the two creatures, Behemoth and Leviathan, both symbolic of the power and the, the fierceness of Satan. And Job now, although he doesn't know the whole scene, he doesn't know about the conversation between God and the devil, and he doesn't know it was a test of the genuineness of his faith. And also, by the way, in the last two chapters, uh, or the three chapters that God has now spoken, God has not answered one of Job's questions. What were Job's questions? Why? Why me? Why wickedness to good people? Why, why do good people suffer when the wicked seem to prosper? God has chosen not to answer any of those questions. All God needs to do is reveal himself to us. So I want to show you this. You are going to suffer in the future. You just will. Job 14.1, life is short and full of trouble. I mean, I'm 47, and it's, a, it's been a short life. It has gone like in a blink. I feel like yesterday I was eight, and, and now here I am, 47, and I will guarantee there is more trouble in my life to come. But my goal, my thought is that I must trust the Lord. You know, he's not going to answer why. He's not going to give me all the details because he doesn't have to. He is God. Plus, if he gave me the details, he would have to give me my entire future. Do you realize that? If I were to ask God, why would you allow this one event in my life? He would then, in his providence, have to say, because that one event is going to set off a chain of reactions that will do this, this, this. These people will be involved. This person, and and he would have to try to explain every single detail of my life and the impact on others. and, And he doesn't go there. He simply says, I am the Lord. I can handle it. So what a great thought. 
thinking about Job, some, just some lessons before we get into the text. My first one, sound theology, and I've said this before, sound theology gives us stability in the difficult days that lie, right? Sound theology is what gives us stability in the difficult days. You need to know who is Jesus Christ. You need to know the fact that God is creator, controller, and the one who cares for his creation. And that sound theology gives us the ability to endure. Don't you agree? The ones who don't endure are the ones who do not have good theology. Their theology is poor, or they don't have any relationship with the Lord. Then how do they go through it? Except with drugs or alcohol or some reliance on something that the world offers. But for us, good, solid theology is the very backbone and the the foundation of our lives. Search the scriptures. Know the Bible. Some people, if you were to say, oh, our church just went through the book of Job, they would be horrified. They would say, I could never go to a church like that. We need solid and good theology. And we can't be afraid of looking at some 42 chapters of a 4,000-year-old conversation. We can't be afraid of that. Secondly, we don't know what God has planned for us. We have to trust him anyways. We don't know what tomorrow brings. James chapter 4 says, our life is a vapor. There are people who say, come, let's, let us go, and we're going to such and such a city. We'll buy and sell. We'll spend a year there. We're going to make our money. We're going to do this. And God turns around and says, you are foolish. Do you not know that your life is a vapor? And your, today is not even guaranteed for me. Do you realize that? It's 6.30 on a Sunday evening in May, and today is not a guarantee for me. I could collapse right now. So I don't know what tomorrow brings. And God has that planned on purpose. There is a veil over the future. I have got to trust him. And Job does that. Listen, my relationship with Jesus Christ keeps me from panic. Like, what did Job say? Naked I came into the world. He knew as a baby he came with nothing, and he's going to die And when they put him in the ground, there's nothing in his hands. He comes into the world empty and he leaves with nothing in his hands. Anything that we have, God has given us. And so our relationship to Jesus Christ keeps me from panic. If something should happen, whatever, no panic. Because I have a relationship with Christ that lasts forever. And then finally, as I think about Job's life, just getting up to this point, endurance is a mark of spiritual maturity. Okay? Job is known for what? Patience, endurance. You want to know what I think is a great mark of maturity? It's not how much Bible you know. It is not how much you pray. I think the mark of maturity is, will you endure? In 20-some years of ministry, I have seen so many people, once faithfully sitting in pews, in pew chairs here in this room, now no longer serving the Lord. They have become bitter. They have become disillusioned. They have found anger against others and God, and they are not here. Endurance is a mark of spiritual maturity. You know what the book of Hebrews is all about? Endurance. So in in Hebrews chapter 6, the writer says, we have need of endurance. My goal is to live faithfully for Jesus Christ till the day that I die or to the day that I'm raptured. I mean, whatever comes my way, Melissa and I have made a covenant. No matter how hurt we could get or no matter how much people could do to us or what because you know how ministry is ministry is not easy it's not it's not like you just get it's just not 100 percent fun all the time i love people and i love ministry and i love jesus but it's just not easy it just isn't but no matter what we have committed and covenanted we're not going to get bitter toward the lord 
We will not. We're going to endure. We want to endure to the end. I want to finish strong and finish well. And Job is known for his endurance. So as I think about that, now let's look at this final text, chapter 42. The great monsters, the two monsters have been revealed to Job. And Job now knows God is, is going to crush wickedness someday. I don't have to worry about it. Verse 42, chapter 42, verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord. Here's what he said. I know that you can do everything. What's my first lesson? The first lesson here that we can get out of this last chapter is this. There is nothing impossible for God. Great theology, isn't it? Job, Job acknowledges there is nothing that God cannot do. So listen to this theological point called omnipotence. God's all power. Here's, here's this. Listen to this. Since he, God, has at his command all the power in the universe, the Lord God omnipotent can do anything as easily as anything else. Do you love that about the Lord? Listen, creating the galaxies and all the stars, creating the earth and everything in it, is as easy for him as the smallest task. For God being omnipotent, there's not a difficult task in the heart. Like, I have easy tasks. I have some very easy ones. Turning the page is easy. Lifting a heavy stone is not easy, or a heavy desk or a couch or something. This is easy. So I have easy tasks, and then I have hard tasks. For God, there is no hard task. Everything is, is nothing to him. He, he is that powerful. Listen to this. All his acts are done without effort. No effort. He doesn't break a sweat. He doesn't lose energy. He doesn't have to sit back and take it easy for a little while to recover. There is nothing that taxes God. He's got all power. He expends no energy that must be replenished. None. Listen, I get done preaching and I'm wiped out. At Sunday night, I'm like, oh man, I feel like I've been hit with a big board a couple of times. But for God, no replenishing of energy loss. There is no energy loss. His self-sufficiency makes it unnecessary for him to look outside of himself for a renewal of strength. All the power required to do all that he wills to do lies in undiminished fullness in his own infinite being. Now that is what Job has come to realize. We have a God where nothing is impossible. My greatest issue, my greatest grief and loss and despair is nothing to my almighty God. It is nothing. He looks at it and he's like, it's not a problem. I can do it. I can be, I'm there. I can handle it. What a great God. Listen to the next verse, the next part of the verse. I know that you can do everything. I hope you know that as well. Listen, and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. It is impossible to thwart God's plan. It is impossible. You can't stop God's plan. You cannot. I don't care who's the president of our nation. He is not going to stop God's will for this nation. What God wills for our country is what we're going to get. Do you know that in in New York City, there is a school that the teacher had the students make a, an international flag and start giving Pledge of Allegiance to an international flag. So they're not giving Pledge of Allegiance to America, but to, to um, all sorts of nations, Arab and all, I mean, giving allegiance. To, what, where did this come from? For God, he's got a plan and a purpose for our country, and nothing is going to change that. I mean, we pray and pray and pray for repentance and revival. And, and we pray that God will, will act on that. But listen, nobody's going to stop his plan. The Antichrist can't stop his plan. Remember King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4? After seven years of insanity, 
This great king of Babylon, having grown fingernails and hair all over his body and, and acting like a wild animal in the, wood, in the fields, after seven years regains his sanity. And what is he saying? The God of Daniel has an everlasting dominion. There is nothing that that God cannot do, and nobody can ask him even why he's doing it. He cannot be questioned, and nobody can stop what he wants to do. If God can humble the greatest king on earth, King Nebuchadnezzar, he can certainly do anything he wants. So Job understands, I know God can do everything, and I know that there's no purpose of God's that will ever be stopped. Nothing can be withheld from God. Verse 3, you asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? God asked Job that. <laughs> Therefore, I have uttered, Job says, what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Listen, my third point, if my first point is there's nothing impossible for God, and my second point, God's plan cannot be stopped, it cannot be thwarted, then I think my third point here would be this. God's plan for your life and my life is too deep and too wonderful to understand. We'll, we'll, like Tom said, we'll understand it better when we look back with 2020 vision. The plan of, I would never have dreamed I'd be a pastor here for all of these years and be part of this. I mean, I had all sorts of visions and plans for my life, and, I, and they didn't include any of the things that are going on. I mean, I just think of his plan, and even like my mom and dad being in church, what a blessing that is to me. I mean, wow, how God orchestrated all, and then my dad's heart attack, and, uh, and then God saving his life, and bringing him back and strengthening him spiritually and on and on. And his plan is too wonderful to imagine. It's too deep to fathom. And someday, with all of the millions of providential acts taking place on earth, we'll be up in heaven and we'll look back and say, it was way too wonderful and deep when I was there, but now I can look back and I can see God's hand working in all of those ways. That's maturity. Verse 4. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you, and you shall answer me. God is the one who, with 77 questions, finally gets to Job's heart. You know what that, that tells me? My next point of application, in order for us to be the men and women of God that we need to be, we must be taught by the master. We have to be taught by the Lord. And he's going to teach us in our pain and in our suffering, and he's going to teach us in the scriptures but we have got to listen when he's teaching us. That's why I think being in church is so vital. This is where we're hearing God's word. It's not that you're hearing me. You're hearing God's word. What does the text of scripture say? And, and that's what counts. What counts is this word, not my description of Leviathan. What does God say about Leviathan? It's not what do I think Job's lessons were learned. What does God say Job learned in this whole thing? But we, Job understood God's the one that's going to question, and he's the one that's going to teach me his ways. Look at his response, verse 5. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. See, Job was a godly, reverent man who shunned evil, but he heard about God as it was passed on from generation to generation. Now it is way more than just teaching and doctrine. He now has heard from God, and, and I think even visibly seen the Lord. So you know what I want to get our church? I want to get us past the thought of church is all about just, just teaching, just facts and knowledge. You know, I want all of our young people to own their own faith. I know like running 
uh, with my, my niece, Emily, when she was in high school. Her and I would do a little bit of running together. And one time we were running up in the Pike Lake area, and I don't know what grade she was in, but I said, Emily, I said, um, you know, you've gone to church your whole life, and your mom and dad have taught you well, but do you really love Jesus because he's your Savior, because this is real to you? That regardless of what anybody else should say, you own your own faith. And I mean, I really wanted to challenge her. It's not just hearing about Jesus and responding, saying, yeah, 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 I know that. I know the story of David and Goliath. I know the story of Daniel. I know all, I know all these stories. It's, this is life-changing. This is a life-changing relationship that, that I'm part of, that I'm responding to. Praise the Lord, Emily has that. She has that ownership of faith with the Lord. And Job here says, yeah, my, my faith has taken a gigantic leap. And then verse 6, Therefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. My next point we can find here in verse 7. So it was, after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite. Now, here's what I think happened. I think after God spoke... Um, and, and Job responded, or at some point, the friends left the city dump. They might have thought, Job is too hard-headed and hard-hearted to hear us. Let's leave him. Let's, let, let's leave him alone. Maybe they walked away, and they're going to their own districts or cities or, or who knows where. And Job is by himself, and the Lord comes, and maybe then it's one-on-one. Because it sounds like God is talking directly to Job. Maybe while these three friends have catch the next chariot out of the city or something, God appears to them. Now, this is what I love. These three friends were not really friends, were they? They were, they were awful. Bildad the Brutal, Zophar, you know, um, the tweeter, you know. In all of this, you've got, you've got all these just terrible friends. And you would think Job, now remember, Job is still suffering. He still has the loss of his children. He still has disease. He has nothing still. Um, he's alone. He's got the depths of loneliness. And God says, my wrath is aroused against Eliphaz and the friends. So I think there's another lesson. God is fair. But sometimes the fairness doesn't come until the very end. All right? We want, we want God to show us, you know, like when people are mean to us or they've hurt us or whatever, we would love God to intervene and just take care of it right now. But that's not when God settles his accounts. When does he settle all of his accounts? When is there going to be a true leveling and fairness? It's going to be in heaven, right? We, ha- we may have to wait. We may have to wait all the way to heaven before things are absolutely right. But they will happen at some point. So here in verse 7, the Lord speaks to Eliphaz the Temanite, and I think the other two are close by, but Eliphaz being the, probably the oldest and the most wise um, because age and wisdom went together in that culture. Here's what God said. My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken to me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Job had the, the truth of the Lord. He had the questions and the complaints, but at least he had the truth of the Lord. The three friends did not. And so now God is going to bring about fairness, if you want to say it. He's going to deal with them. And he says in verse 8, Now therefore take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams. Now, a bull is a very costly item. It's not like a little lamb. It's not like a goat. A bull is very, very expensive. So if the three men have to take seven bulls and seven rams, 
to, to Job and offer them up as a burnt offering, that is costly, isn't it? You know what it says in the Levitical sacrifices? For common people like you and I, when we sin against, when we, if we sinned against God in the Old Testament, we'd bring a small animal. But if you were a leader or if you were a, a priest or somebody in high position and you sinned against God, you'd have to bring a bull because it was a big, big problem. You were leading many people astray. And so the sin cost you a lot more than it did for just the common man. I think the three friends did such a disservice to Job that God said, there's a cost, a great cost. Your sin was really big. It was a bad, bad thing. It was a huge thing. God's not glossing over it. He's saying, your sin is a tremendous cost. What about our sin? Our sin, what a tremendous cost for Jesus Christ on the, cr- on the cross is he bore our sin and was separated from the Father. What a debt has been paid and what a sin we have had. Um, what a debt we, we had. But verse 8, God says, take these seven animals, uh, seven bulls and seven rams, go to my servant Job, offer up for yourselves a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you. Now, just so you know, none of Job's answers, uh, questions have been answered. Job is still destitute. He's alone. He's in the city dump. He's still diseased. Nothing has changed. Life has not gotten any better. But now Job has to pray for his friends. What do you think Job's thinking? Hmm, maybe I won't. And if I don't, God will just destroy them with fire. And boy, that'd be kind of a fun scene, you know? But no, that's not Job's heart because Job has experienced the grace of God himself. So now he gives the grace to others. So, um, for I will accept him lest I deal with you according to your folly because you have not spoken to me what is right as my servant Job has. So God repeats that phrase. So the men have to go to Job with humility and say, Job, we were wrong and you were right. Here are the animals for a burnt offering to the Lord God. Would you pray for us? And then Job now has the responsibility of extending grace, and he does. Verse 9, So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Namathite went and did as the Lord commanded them, for the Lord had accepted Job. Wow. So, God is, is always fair. Wickedness, there's not, fair, there's not fairness here. The wicked prosper, the good suffer, but there is coming a day when everything will be dealt with accordingly. I do like what Hebrews 6.10 says. God is not unjust. All right, God is not unjust. He is very fair. And he is going to reward each one of you, your faithful service that you've done in the church as you minister to people and you do minister. God is going to reward you someday. He's keeping track of it all. But he's keeping track of the wicked as well. And so everything is going to get their just reward. We're just going to have to wait for it so we can be patient. But I want you to know God is always fair. You serve him with a loyal and diligent heart and you get no reward on earth. Be thankful. You will get great reward in heaven. You just don't expect to get one on earth. You don't need it on earth. You you get it in heaven. And then here's, I have just two more. Verse 10. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. It wasn't until after Job prayed for his friends that now Job's uh, losses were restored. And I would say this. Nobody can bless people like God. God is so generous. Isn't he generous? Isn't his grace so huge? Can you imagine what happened? Listen to, the, listen to how the Bible describes this. 
indeed, the end of verse 10 says, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. So Job, all of a sudden, he looks at his skin and he's like, wow, baby skin again. I look like a teenager. Well, a a teenager, yes. And he's looking at his skin saying, wow, my skin has never looked better. And then he's got strength. And then he puts on his robe and he goes back and Next thing you know, and let's read it just so we get the whole thing, verse 11. Then all his brothers, all of his sisters, and all those who had been his acquaintances before came to him and ate food with him in his house. So he, he goes back and he looks at the whole mess of his property that's been laying there for months, and the fresh graves now have grass on them. And he's looking around and he's like, people are coming up saying, Job, how about if we put your house right here and we're going to add on and make it twice as big as before? And hey, isn't this going to be? And next thing you know, the house goes up. And then all of Job's brothers and said, Wait now, where were the brothers and sisters and acquaintances when he was in the city dump with the ashes? They were not even there. Now they show up at the doorstep and they're bringing gifts for him. They console him, they comfort him for all the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and each one a ring of gold. And that begins, all of a sudden, he's like, well, I have enough money now to buy some sheep, but not just as many sheep as I had before. I've got twice as many sheep. And camels, not 3,000 camels, but 6,000 camels. Do you know how much now we can do? And I don't have just so many servants. I have double servants. And then his wife comes and says, Job, I'm expecting. And he's like, what? We just raised 10 children, and now we've got a baby in the house? And then a year later, honey, we're expecting again. And now they've got little toddlers and there's diapers and little, you know, little league games and peewee hockey and all of that. And, and then Job's like, I'm an old man. I already did the parenting thing once. But he gets this, a second opportunity to raise another whole batch of kids. And then the grandkids come and the great-grandkids come. And his house is full of music and, and laughter and lots of grace, right? Lots of grace. Verse 12. Look at how the Lord has blessed him. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. Wow. So when God blesses, he is abundantly generous. Hey, do we deserve heaven? Not at all. We don't deserve it even a little bit. But he's going to bring us into heaven, and he's going to reward us. He's going to walk with us and talk with us, and he's going to sing to us. The prophets say he's going to sing to us. Can you imagine life in heaven? It is going to be super abundant. I, I wish more people could think about heaven all the time. They just People don't think about heaven. We're thinking about this earth, the next bill, the next paycheck, the next vacation. We're looking at the next thing, the next activity. We need to lift our eyes off of here and get up into heaven. You know, we really do. We need to see this is our destination. We are going to be abundantly blessed beyond measure. You guys, your first minute in heaven, you're going to be like, oh, man, heaven is this great that we would say, now earth seems like nothing. The suffering and the pain of earth is like nothing compared to your first minute in heaven. And I feel bad, but I think this is going to be true. Many people, the first moment they're in heaven, will say, I wasted my life. I really think many people will get to heaven and say, now I get it. I wasted my time. I should have been more diligent serving and loving the Lord than myself. 
but it's, it's too late. They'll still be in heaven and they'll still be great joy. But there will be a, a sense of, wow, I get it now. So that's why I want to encourage you and stir you up. Don't waste a day on this earth. Don't waste your life. Don't put everything into the Lord Jesus. Now, so he has seven sons and three daughters, and God blesses beyond measure. But we only get, under the Holy Spirit's guidance, the names of the three daughters. We don't get any of the boys' names. Fred, Ralph, you know, Brian, or whatever their names are. But we do get the three daughters. And now, do you think, let me ask you this. Do you think the Holy Spirit was just saying, oh, man, I wanted the, the book to get to the end of this piece of paper, so what other info can I throw in there? Oh, I guess I'll throw in the girls' names, and, and then that'll take up a little bit more lines and a little bit more ink on the page, and then that'll make it look really nice. Do you think the God, that God puts details like this in the Bible for no reason? No, there is an absolutely phenomenal reason why we get the daughter's names. The first daughter was named Yamima. Jemima, Yamima, Yamima. The Hebrew word for, for day is yom, yom. Yamima means day by day, yam by yam. It means day by day. Why would he name his first daughter that comes out of the womb day by day? Because I think Job knew to walk through life's journey, we live day by day. We trust the Lord day by day. We don't get grace for tomorrow. We get grace for today. We live day by day. You know, I think many people live in the past, the glory days of the past. Well, we used to do this, and we had fun doing that, and five years ago, and 10 years ago, and 20 years ago, and they live in the past. And some people live in the future. Well, someday I'm going to get to do this, and this, and this, and someday I get... No, we have right now to live. We live in the present day by day by day. Tomorrow, Just use tomorrow for the glory of God. Just every waking moment, give him praise and glory. Look at the trees and the flowers and the people and the work and everything and just give him praise. And and day by day on this journey on earth. Isn't that a great name? How do you get through a trial? Day by day. Sometimes hour by hour, but day by day for sure. Here's the second daughter's name. Kezia, or we would say Cassie. Now, you know what Kezia means in the Hebrew? It means a fragrance, a fragrance that has been made by crushing. You crush the flower and the aroma spreads. Why do you think Job said, this is my second daughter's name, Cassie? Because he knew, I have been crushed by the Lord. I have been brought in great suffering and God has broken me. But now that I'm broken, now I can give off the fragrance of the Lord Jesus. Now I can give off the fragrance of God to others around me. So in your suffering, as God crushes you and and as you are wounded, you give off a fragrance of trust and praise and glory to God. Oh, wow. Then everybody gets this aroma of, of who God is. They begin to see God in your life, and they can praise him. And then the third daughter, Karen. Oh, I have a sister named Karen. Karen Hapak. Now, Karen Hapak. Oh, interesting, isn't it? Karen, hapuk means, you know what Karen means? Horn, like a horn. Now, it sounds weird, but you think of horns on an animal? It's this, I think, in the Bible. Oh, can I tell you real quick? This is another quick side journey. Moses, when Moses was face-to-face with Jesus in the tabernacle in Exodus 34, what happened to Moses' face? The Bible says it shone with light. No, in the Hebrew, his face horned. 
It says horned. It's the actual word for horn, Karen. How did Moses' face horn? Because when you looked at him, it was like he had rays of light. You know, like if you were to draw a sun, like I can only draw, um, I can't draw very well. I can draw like, like a, a, a little person. So when I draw a sun, I just draw a circle with a couple of rays like that. Like horns, those are horns. So Moses' face horned out light. Light shined out of his head like horns. And if you see some of the ancient pictures of Moses, if you go to the Middle East, to these ancient churches and things, you'll see images of Moses with a face with horns. And you wonder, why does he have horns on his head? That's why. The Hebrew word said his face radiated horns of light. So I think Karen Hapak means rays of light. Rays of light. And then Hapak means, get this, cement. It means cement. But it's also used not just for cement. It was used in the book of Isaiah for mascara. I mean, that could be cement, you know. Yes, mascara. You know, caking it on or whatever you do. I'm not sure. But, but what's mascara? It was an, a pigment to beautify. It was another word like to color. So it's to color, to, um, to, to apply beauty. So Karen Hapak is radiating beauty. So Job says, yes, now that I know and I can see God in creation, I can see his handiwork and his power and his control and his care. So now I can radiate the glory and the beauty of Jesus or God for him. But for us, we just radiate the glory of God. We want people just to see Jesus Christ in us, don't we? So Job's like, I learned three big lessons. Take your trials and day to day. Go day by day. Secondly, when you are being crushed, release a beautiful fragrance of Christ. And then be this beautiful, radiant reflection of the glory of God. And then we bring to our conclusion, here are the last verses. In all the land were found no women so beautiful as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. In the ancient culture, unheard of to give an inheritance to the, to the women. But what, is, what has Job learned? Grace upon grace upon grace. And then verse 16. After this, Job lived 140 years, so I bet he saw lots of children and grandchildren's games and concerts. He saw his children and grandchildren for four generations. So he had children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren. I bet he was tired, (laughs) you know, bouncing all those kids on his lap. And then he dies. So Job died old and full of days, maybe a 200-year-old man. All right, so my, my last point of that text was verse 16 and 17. It's only through trust in God that we can live above our circumstances. I, I have not, I mean, I have suffered, but probably more in the last year than I have ever in my life, it seems. And I've suffered a lot in my different parts of my life. But you know what? Trust in the Lord allows us to rise above our circumstances. And Job was able to live, even though with the memory of 10 dead children and all the difficulties, he was able to see his children, grandchildren for four generations. And wow, it's only through trusting God that he could rise above just the despair of life in those circumstances. All right, and then, I'm sorry, I do have to do this because without it, I would be negligent. I'm going to the New Testament quickly. Let's just listen to this, and you can read it on your own here this week. 
It's the only time Job is mentioned in the New Testament, by the way. Here is Job in the New Testament. Be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it. So when you plant seeds in the ground, when do you get the harvest? Many months later. You're planting seeds right now at Faith Baptist. The harvest is coming down the road. Not today, but down the road. Verse 8. You also, men and women, be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of Jesus is at hand. Don't grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, our judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Look back in the Old Testament. See the men that were prophets that suffered and had great patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure, because endurance is a mark of maturity. You've heard of the perseverance of Job. Here it is. You've heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord. Now, I'm not going to say the rest of the verse. What was, what was God wanting to get across that was the end of Job's trials? We would think restoration and great family times, right? We would think big crops and big business. That's not what God really wants us to get out of the story of Job. Here it is. You ready? Here is the end that God intended in the story of Job, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. That's what he wants us to know. If there's anything we get out of the book of Job, it's this. Don't get angry. Don't get bitter at God. He is compassionate and merciful. And we don't understand, and we can't question, and we can't complain, but he, bottom line, is compassionate and merciful. That is what we need to get from the book of Job. The New Testament says you want to apply the book of Job, don't ever forget our God is compassionate, very compassionate, and very merciful. What a book. Oh, I'm sorry, James 5.11. <laughs> James 5.11. James 5, be patient, be patient. He says it over and over. Be patient and use the prophets as an example and use Job as an example. Here's the end intended by God in Job's life, that the Lord is very compassionate, full of mercy. James 5.11. Well, what a fun study. Oh, what a great study. But we're going to move on and look to other things. Father in heaven, thank you for our time together as we bring to conclusion this beautiful book of the Bible. Help us to remember these things in the days of suffering that come ahead of us. Um, We have no idea what tomorrow brings, but we trust you. And we want to be prepared to be like Job with good theology and a grateful heart. We do know that you are compassionate and merciful, and you are a God of grace. Thank you for giving us grace upon grace. May we extend that to others like Job extended it to Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And now, Father, as we begin to put our attention into the New Testament in the book of 1 Thessalonians, help us to be eagerly waiting for the second coming of Jesus. And as we just remember the rapture and his coming, and we live ready to see him, Help us also to walk steady, to walk diligently, just waiting day by day for the day that you bring us home. Thank you again for the lessons that soon will be taught to us. Help us to be eager and receptive to the praise, honor, and glory of Jesus. Amen. Hey, I didn't share uh, too many announcements with you, but everything you heard this morning, uh, you might remember. But just uh, please pray for Pastor Lindquist. Pastor